Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Finance, or just plain out and out real estate finance. This happens to be show number two uh, of our series. Typically, in these classes, we usually end up with about 32 shows when all is said and done. Uh, what I wanted to do was to mention, if you will, a couple of uh, housekeeping things, or uh, I can't think of a better word to say right now, but what I wanted to mention is the last time we met, which was uh, the, the last time we had the class, we had a course orientation. Uh, I think most of you made it. It was during that period of time that what I basically did was talk about the technology that we utilize in the class here. And uh, a couple things just to mention to you is to remember that we use a system called Blackboard, uh, and you should hopefully have had the course outline. And uh, basically what Blackboard is is it's a content management system. It's a system that we use at all of the four college campuses, meaning it's used at American River, Casumas River, uh, Folsom Lake Center, and Sacramento City College, uh, Folsom Lake College and Sacramento City College. And the concept behind it is, is to be able to deliver course materials to you all. Uh, when we first started doing TV classes <clears throat> and online classes, the concept is, is that there are people that would come in for an orientation, maybe come in for exams, and then during the period of time, they'd have to be a place that they could go and have discussion groups, take quizzes, take exams, do things like that. So the district itself bought something called Blackboard. And so we spent quite a bit of time going over what Blackboard was and how it operated. The second thing that I wanted to mention to you, too, is the fact that keep in mind that as I discuss or cover the lectures in this particular class, we are also looking at the fact, or we will be, doing something called canning the class, meaning that at the end of the semester, we will be taking all of the 32 videos and put the, putting them on DVDs for students to be able to buy in the bookstore and reusing this stuff again. And so consequently, when I discuss things, I'm going to try as hard as I can to not date stamp the information. So in other words, not saying that it's the summertime or the winter or the fall or the spring or Happy Thanksgiving or Merry Christmas or Happy New Year or whatever. I'm going to try as hard as I can to not do that. The other thing that I wanted to mention to you besides the blackboard there's a number of ways that you could watch this show. Uh, first of all, this particular time, while we're doing it live, but in future shows, it would be something you'd watch online. But right now, you can come in, and we're more than happy to have you come in during this phase to LR119. You can see a, a few of your fellow students. You can see them projected out there. There are millions of people watching you right now. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the concept behind it is you can come here, and we always like to have an audience if we can, okay? Although you may not realize there's probably about 40-some people signed up for the class that are watching at home, online, or whatever. Uh, anyway, I encourage you to do that, but there are a number of other ways that you can watch it. You could be watching it at home if you receive the cable channel, uh, uh, the Comcast or Shore West. And as I mentioned before, it's in your course outline where it tells you which channels they happen to be on. There's so many different channels that we work with that I have a hard time memorizing them all, which also means that if you do have those cable channels, you can TiVo it, you can make a copy on a VCR and record it. Um, another thing that uh, you can do is that at the end of each one of the shows, Bob Bickley, who is our senior engineer, uh, television engineer, the big guru, makes a copy of this, and probably about 15 to 20 minutes later after this, a copy of it is put in the reserve room for you to be able to go over and watch in the form of a videotape. 
the next thing that I wanted to mention to you is that if it's more convenient for you to go to an outreach center, we have three outreach centers. We have one in Davis, uh, off of Richards Boulevard in Davis. We have one in downtown Sacramento at 4th and L Street, and we also have one in um, West Sacramento off of Harbor Boulevard, if you know, if you're going out that direction. Uh, in the course outline, I gave you the addresses and the phone numbers to contact them, which would mean you'd contact them, say, I'd like to come in and watch the show. They would make sure that you uh, that there was a room there for you to use. They'd open it up and allow you to use it. A couple other exciting ways that you can watch it is that if you miss a show and it's on the cable system, the following week we rebroadcast it. And you'd have to look at your course outline because we rebroadcast a number of the different shows, both the real estate finance, the real estate practice and the real estate uh, finance practice and principles, okay? So it's usually either a Saturday or a Sunday, and the concept is, is that it's a week later so that if you were out of town, you could watch it that way. And then probably one of the most exciting ways that I think that we use it today is that you can watch it on the Internet. And so consequently, what we do now is that as a result, while I am talking right this second, this show is being what we call prepared or encoded for the Internet. What happens after I get done, after that show is encoded, uh, the technician that's here will turn around and transfer that file, if you will, which you guys don't need to know what that is, but transfer that file to a server we have. I'm notified. I do a couple things, and what I do is I send out an email to you all to let you know that that show is available. That's why the email of you updating your email address in Blackboard was absolutely so critical because I do that on a regular basis. Now, for the first show... I'm going to show you how I basically have done this so that you're aware of it. The first thing I normally do, and I'm going to switch over here to my plasma screen to kind of show you guys in the classroom, and then you can see it at home. And Bob will switch this back off here in a minute. What will happen is in Blackboard, underneath announcements, I sent this announcement out on, um, oh, I think it was, if this was, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. I can always go back and check the time. Uh, but basically what I did is I said, uh, hi, everybody. That's who I call you, everybody. <laughs> okay. I just sent out an email. Oh, that's the wrong one. Okay. I said, hi, everybody. We have completed encoding and up, uh, uploading this first class show to the real estate, uh, for real estate finance. You can now view the show online by going to your class Blackboard website and selecting the blue button titled TV shows, which is right over here. Okay. And then thanks for taking the class. Now, if you're at home and you have a high-speed connection, I mean a high-speed DSL or cable modem, or if you're at work and you have a high-speed, what we usually refer to as a T1 line, uh, all you have to do is you just click the button right here. And uh, I have a couple things here that I've already put up. One is, is that it, you're going to need Microsoft uh, Windows Media Player to be able to view the files. I've put a link right here. That's in blue. It'll turn to a hand. If you click on the link, what will happen is it'll take you out to the Microsoft uh, website. And what will happen is you can download the software and put it on your system. And what it does is it recognizes the fact of what kind of operating system you have. So, in other words, do you have Windows XP or do you have Windows 2000 or what system do you basically have because there's various versions. But it detects that, if you will. Okay, the next thing that I wanted to show you here is that I have, I tell you what that is, and then in this particular case, uh, if you remember, I had a sample show here, but this happens to be show number one. And um, I'm not sure whether this would basically start yet or not. Uh, usually what it'll take is it'll take about roughly in the neighborhood of about 
Um, usually about 25 to 30 seconds for enough of the show to come over into your machine. That's called buffering. And the reason why is it needs to have enough that comes over, and then therefore, then when it has enough, then it'll start to play. Okay, and then you can start watching it. And I don't know, sometimes I have to, um, I'll just stop it here real quick, and I'll pu push the other button. I'll see if it'll just, um, if it will possibly... Uh, if you click the other link, it allows you to open it up in a full window. It gives you more information on the screen, by the way, to tell you what it's buffering. Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome to and California Real Estate you see me Finance, Real Estate 320. Talking for show this one. This happens to be our funny? first Isn't show funny? for the season. Uh, one of the I'm things Pat. that's interesting about our shows, that we've guy been over actually there. recording them as we go, as okay. we usually do, but we're actually taking them and making them sort of a permanent so, kind of a fixture. That'll this give semester, you an idea. Uh, and um, So I'm going to stop this guy and shut him up here for a minute. Uh, the concept behind this is that you have the ability to watch the show 24 hours a day, seven days. It doesn't mean you watch it 24 hours a day. It means that you can selectively decide based on your schedule when the show is more convenient for you to watch. And as we know as students, typically what will happen is a lot of times we'll have where maybe our schedule has us do something in the morning. You know, it's more convenient in the morning or it's more convenient at night after the kids go to bed or whatever, but you can do it anytime you want to, okay? Also, too, if you're on the college campus, if you're on this campus, remember that you have access to all the computers, both in the business building in B-151, B-153, and also over here, that you can come in and watch it. The only thing that you normally will need if you do watch it is to buy a very inexpensive headset. Uh, I would recommend that because you may go there and they may ha not have a headset for you. <laughs> but usually you can buy them for at uh, Best Buy or something for usually about 5 bucks or 10 bucks, or you can get very elaborate ones, but they have to be the ones that work with the uh, system. And the reason why is when you go to a lab, what they want to do is they're not going to have you turning on your speakers <laughs> and listening and blaring out something while everybody else is trying to do stuff. Okay, So there's a lot of different ways you can watch it. And I really, really encourage you to do this. This is something that we've worked extremely hard on to make it so that it's convenient for you guys. Okay? So I'm going to go ahead and close this out right now of Pat talking. Uh, close Pat out again. Okay? Also, the other thing I wanted to mention to you, too, is that I also sent an email out to you. So typically what I do is as I go out and I'm going to go ahead and uh, put the show up with the announcement, I also send an email out, which brings me to the second topic. Underneath the second topic, what I basically did is I said this. I said, I just sent out an email announcing that I uh, the first show was ready for viewing. Okay? And now the system, the, new, the way the new system works, this is what happens. I received a message back that identified specific students who could not receive the email because they had never updated their email address. So this is why it's absolutely critical that you update your email address. I'm going to take a minute and just show you how you do that. You click here underneath the Welcome tab, and right down here under Personal Information, you click on Personal Information. You go on Edit Personal Information, and right down here is where you would update your email address. I did this during the orientation, but it's very, very important because what happens is I'm sending this email out, and I'm getting messages back that people are not receiving it. Now, and one more thing, and then I'll move on to what we're going to talk about the materials today. And that is, if for some reason you do not have a computer at home, do not worry about it. Because you're taking classes here, you can use the computer here 
or the computers on the campus. All you basically need to do is to go to either the lab over here in LR141 or the lab in B151 or 153, which is the building just east of us. Go in there, say, hi, I'm a student, I'm in a class, and they'll take you through the process, okay? And then that means that you can do anything that you basically need to do to, uh, to have access to any of these, okay? And so I'm going to close out of here. And did I have a question from the gentleman on the left-hand side? You need to push the mic button there when you talk. Are you, no, you see the mic button? No, right here. No, right here in the center. Right there. You need to push the mic button. No, don't pull it hard. You'll pull it out. No, the black button all the way down the bottom. All the way down. You see the red light come on? Yeah, hold it and keep holding it and ask your question. Okay, apparently we were in the wrong class because I came for the practice one. But in the book, it says room LR119 for this time. Okay. So what do I do? Okay. Uh, see me after class, okay, because we're live on the air right now, okay? Uh, but just to let you know, if you're supposed to be in that class, that's a totally different thing. That is broadcast like this over the Internet. So we're not doing a live thing. And I'm not sure what schedule you basically have. You may have the schedule from the spring of 2000 or whatever. Fall. Fall? Okay. Anyway, after class, I can help you or show you or explain where it is, okay? Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go back to, uh, I think I'm pretty much done with this part of discussing things. What I'm going to do is talk about the information that's contained in the first chapter of the textbook now. Uh, as we mentioned the last time, uh, we're going to be talking about something called real estate finance. When we met, I covered each uh, briefly all the information in each one of the chapters. This first chapter just talks about what we commonly refer to as a short history of real estate finance or history of real estate finance. And I think in some cases, and, and sometimes as I get older, I forget exactly what I said the last time. Uh, but basically, uh, what we want to have an understanding of is, is that Years, many, many, many years ago, probably back in the caveman days, okay, if you basically wanted to have buy a service or a product from somebody, if you wanted to do that, what you basically had to do is you had to barter with them or you had to trade with them. So, for example, if I happened to be the farmer who was raising chickens, and that was what I did for a living, and I basically wanted to have somebody make some clothes for me, what I essentially had to do is go down to the tailor, get measured, and say, I'll tell you what, if you make the suit for me, or not, well, cavemen didn't wear suits, by the way, <laughs> but if you wanted something like, you know, clothes or whatever, you had to say, I will give you like three chickens and you give me the suit. Okay. Essentially, what you had to do is that you had to always find somebody that had something that you wanted that also wanted to use the services or the products that you had. Hopefully, that makes sense. Consequently, it, became, it would become very difficult in order for you to trade with somebody because you'd have to go downtown and ask the tailor, do you want chickens? He says, no, I don't like chickens. You know, I want, you know, I, I like beef. And you keep going around until you found somebody and say, okay, and maybe when you found that person, maybe they didn't provide the service or the, or the product that you really wanted. So it became evident after a while is that we had to have some way of coming up with some kind of uh, medium or exchange of something, some kind of monetary thing 
that we could use as an independent thing that we could turn around and say, you know what, instead of me trading the, cat, the chickens for the clothes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and buy the clothes and give you something, give you some seashells, give you something that has some value that you can turn around and use someplace else. Okay? The book talks about a lot of the different processes that we went through. It talks about some of the history that was involved, and we could spend a lot of time going over that. But I think what's really sort of important is that we basically understand that probably, uh, and I think it's on, uh, if I can find the correct page here, uh, I think it was in, on this particular page here, they started talking about the Goldsmith accounts. And essentially what we're talking about is in England. And this is kind of important because of the fact that it gives us some kind of perspective and understanding of how money works. What ended up happening is that people that had gold, you know, on their person would be concerned. You know, they'd have it maybe laying around the house or put someplace. And they would turn around and say, you know what, it's probably not very secure. You know, somebody could come in and take it. And gold was something that I could transfer. You know, if I had gold or silver, I could go in and give it to somebody. It has some sort of a value to it. So what they said is they had these goldsmiths. And what the goldsmiths did is they kind of look at it as having the person had the safe, had some place to lock this stuff up. So I could go down and put my gold with the goldsmith. As a result of that, the goldsmith would give me like a ticket. They would give me, not a parking ticket, but a ticket, a mon something in monetary that said I, that I, Pat Hogarty, deposited my gold, a certain number of ounces, with that goldsmith. And what they started to do is they found out that a lot of times when people deposited their gold, they left it there for a very long period of time. They did, it's not like they deposited and came back and said, I want it tomorrow. They just kind of left it there. And then people, after a while, turned around and said, you know what, if I have this gold there, you know, why do I need to go down and get it out every day? You know, maybe it's at night, and I don't want to really do that. What I want to do is I, I want to buy something right now, so why don't I just turn around and give you or endorse over to you this slip of paper or this document that says that I have so much gold? And when I do that, that gives you the authority then to go down and to them and get the gold. So that's the concept. So now we have something called currency that we can use from that goldsmith that just says, you know, on demand, go in, here's the ticket, give me the gold. Okay, and when you really think about it, that's what it is. That's the, the beginning of it. The other thing that they found, the goldsmiths found too, is the fact that, you know what, people, because they left the gold there for a long period of time, they could actually start lending people money. And when they lent the people money, they could actually start charging them some kind of a fee for that. And what would happen is the fee that they earned, they could split between the person that had the gold and them holding the gold themselves. And that we commonly refer to as interest. Okay. In fact, in the United States, one of the things that we had for a long period of time in Fort Knox is we had a place where we kept gold. To this day, we keep gold there. That gold is supposed to be, it used to be <clears throat> at one time where you had a note like a dollar bill that said on demand you could go back and get the gold. Okay, where now it's just, you know, the money is just backed by the f uh, full faith in, uh, of the United States government. But you could do that, and not anymore you can. But it's the same concept. Fort Knox is the place where you kept the gold, which was the value of the assets that backed up the currency. The currency was the dollar bill that went around, and we used that to trade with each other. 
They also talk about the fact that in the United States, both in England and the United States, a lot of individuals, if you think about it, if you're going to go buy something, every one of those goldsmiths would have a different kind of a document that they would use to represent what the gold was. So if you were buying something, you may have, you know, a t one one bill that's representing one goldsmith, one another. You could, you know, all sizes, all shapes, all different ways of looking. You know, so you start to realize the fact that, hey, you know what, if I, I, we need to sort of standardize things. We need to have some kind of a way of standardizing this note that represents something. Otherwise, I'm going to have little itty-bitty notes, big notes. I'm going to have to have a wallet that's huge in some cases to carry these things around. So consequently, we started to standardize things. They did talk about the fact that the first bank, central bank, that we had was the Bank of England. Okay, the Bank of England. And uh, this started, actually, they talk about the 1700s, which is essentially talking about more or less the last part of the 1600s. And essentially, the concept of a central bank is you want to have a place, okay, where you start to standardize things, you put money in it, People that are other bankers can take and borrow money from that bank, okay, when they need it. In other words, when somebody comes in and says, excuse me, I want to take, I want to withdraw my money today, and they, well, I don't have it. At least they have a place they can go to to get the money from, okay? So that's why we talk about a central bank, okay, a place that we could store stuff. Uh, and then what they did is they talked, they gave you some examples of some of the notes, that had been created during that period of time. I mean, if you've ever gone out and gone through some of these, uh, some of these uh, museums, you'll see all different kinds of notes that were created uh, during the Civil War, for example. The South had their monetary system or their notes. The North had theirs. I mean, so, and people, all different sizes and shapes, okay? Also, another thing that they pointed out is that during, especially during the, uh, the 1800s, that there were uh, lots and lots of banks. There were a lot of fraudulent banks. Uh, those banks, you would maybe give them your money, and maybe if you ever saw it again, you were lucky. Okay, So it became evident that we constantly had to come up with some kind of a standardized method of being able to do this. Okay, uh, The first central bank that we had in the United States was created by Alexander Hamilton, which was one of the founding fathers of the country. Okay, and it was chartered. Chartered means that it was authorized, if you will, to operate as a central bank for a period of years. And then essentially what happened is, is that the, I think the charter was something like 20 years, and at the end of that, the charter kind of went away. And uh, then again, uh, there was attempts to bring it back. And then essentially what happened is around, uh, I believe it was 1863 is where we took another stab at having a central bank or a, na or a national banking system. One of the problems that we started to run into in the, uh, in the banking system is the fact that the federal government, or the government at that time, was going to be fighting a war called the Civil War, and they didn't have the money to be able to, you know, to, find, you know, to pay for social salaries and to pay for everything else, so they had to actually borrow. And the place that they borrowed from was, guess what, the merchants, the people that developed money. Because the United States, if you're a government, you consume money, but you don't produce money. In fact, you consume money, you consume products, you really don't produce any money at all. So it talked about uh, about the banking system during that period of time. Uh, I and then um, basically it started talking about the Civil War and finally led to what we call the National Banking Act. Okay, and this went on 1861, 1865. It talked about the Civil War, 
And then after that, we went through a period of time where the banking system was just in disarray. We had a lot of hyperinflation. And finally, 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 in the year of 1913 is when we finally formalized a central bank, and we called it the Federal Reserve Bank, the Federal Reserve Bank. Now, what I'm going to be doing today is I'm going to go and show you some things that are in the book, and then what I'm going to do is go out and show you some stuff that's on the website. And you don't necessarily have to worry about this because I have it on the website, on the Blackboard website for the class, which means that when you go home, you can go to the Blackboard website and click the links and see the same thing that I'm going to be showing you. Okay. Uh, basically, with the Federal Reserve, they talk here about the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, and what it wanted to do was to solve all of the problems of starting to standardize the monetary system. In fact, many, many countries have central banks. The concept is, is that the central bank is, is the key place, and then they have member banks, you know, like a Bank of America, like a Wells Fargo type bank. And these banks belong to the central bank. And as a member of the central bank, they're allowed to do something called pledge their commercial paper. And if you wonder what commercial paper is, commercial paper has to be the, 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 the loans, the loan, the, the amount of, it's, it's a representation of the documents or the notes, if you will, of money that private industry has borrowed. <clears throat> so you're allowed to borrow against that money that's there. You know, in other words, Pat Hogarty's hardware store owes me some money, so I'm going to, that's how you use what you pledge. You pledge the fact that you've, you're going to be getting paid from Pat Hogarty's hardware store to the central bank. You pledge that note saying, listen, I want to borrow some money from you to go ahead and pay somebody else, okay? So anyway, the, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank is where it's uh, started. Uh, I'm going to show you what the book shows you, and then I'm going to go ahead and take you to the website. The Federal Reserve System is broken down into 12, and this is on your page in your book, is broken down into 12 districts. And this map is not colored. I'll show you another map in a minute, but I want to show you what's in the book, and then we'll go to that map. Basically, what these districts are, if you look very, very closely here, you'll kind of notice it's a black and white document, and you'll notice that they separate the districts by a dark line. So this happens to be the San Francisco district right here. Okay, And you'll notice back over in here, you'll notice as you get back to the East Coast, the districts tend to be smaller. It's not smaller because of the fact, it, the reason why they're smaller is because the population in those areas are more highly concentrated. Uh, in fact, uh, if you ever have an opportunity to get an airplane in the, at night and fly along the East Coast, you'll look at something what we commonly refer to as a megalopolis. It looks like it never ends. In other words, from city to city, the lights just continue going. So when you go from Boston to New York, it just the lights just keep going. So you have a very, very high concentration of population in, in these areas. So that's why the districts tend to be smaller e on the East Coast, whereas on the West Coast, we just have a lot of land, huge amount of land, and our population centers are sort of scattered. Okay, so that's why that is. So there's 12 districts, and those districts are hopefully representing the, if you will, the wishes, desires, or what's happening economically within that geographical area. That's the purpose of them. Okay? Now, the Federal Reserve, and I'm just going to kind of maybe um, 
talk about what kinds of powers that they have. They, they are the one that has the power to actually tell the Treasury Department to print money. So they have the power to, pr- to actually issue or print money. Okay, that's one of their jobs. Now, as the book sort of alludes to, uh, you know, and it specifically did during the war, war uh, the Civil War, it talked about the fact that, you know, during periods of time when, they, when the United States needs quite a bit of money, what they tend to do is they tend to print more money. They put more money in circulation. They need more money because they're running up their deficit, you know, like we are currently right now to pay for the war, to pay for a lot of different things that are going on, so they're printing quite a bit more money. But they're the ones that control the issue of the money. As an example, what's sort of interesting, if you ever have an opportunity, it's a little bit of a fun tour. The one central headquarters for the Federal Reserve in California is in San Francisco. And if you ever go down and, you know, in San Francisco where Fisherman's Wharf is, uh, the Embarcadero, uh, it's very close to a hotel down there called the Height Regency. You can go on a tour. It doesn't cost you anything. And some interesting things about the tour is you'll actually go through the tour. They get It's kind of fun. They give you this little badge that has your has your visitor name on it, and after a certain period of time, at least when I went through it, sort of fades away after a while, kind of as a security thing. But they'll take you through and they'll show you places where they have storage bins of money, you know, blocks of money, and they're moving this money around on forklifts. You know, they're just putting money and they're moving it around on pallets and stuff like that. The other thing that the Federal Reserve did, I know when I went on a tour, and it's not as big of a thing anymore because we're using credit cards and we're using debit cards now, but they also acted as a clearinghouse for checks. When you think about it, when you write a check, you know, that check is, you know, you're a Wells Fargo member and you're writing the check to somebody to some, say you write it to the hardware store, the hardware store, you're a Wells Fargo member, the hardware store is Bank of America. You know, so you've got all these different banks and these people that have bank accounts, so what do you basically do? So you have to have a clearinghouse. And it used to be a long time ago, years ago, what they used to do is they used to be people that would collect the checks in the local area, run down to the local airport, put them on an airplane, and fly them to San Francisco. And if you went down there, they had these great big machines that would go through and read the bar, those numbers on the bottom of the check. Those numbers were actually have like a like a metallic uh, part to them that they can be read and pick up the account number, and they would actually clear or write those checks or you know clear those checks out and move the money between you know the different accounts. So you can go down there and go on tours and see how that works, and I believe it's free. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything. It's something if you just go to the Federal Reserve, and I'll show you when we get there. They have tours. You can go down and go go through tours. It's kind of an interesting thing. Anyway. So the Federal Reserve, one of the biggest factors that we really hear about them, especially as it applies to the real estate industry now, is that they control interest rates, okay? And the whole concept of the Federal Reserve is they're trying to keep the economy, or that's one of their main objectives, is keep the economy fairly stable. In other words, when we have a lot of money in our pocket, if we drop the interest rates to 1% today, Everybody would be running out and buying brand new cars, brand new houses, brand, going on vacations. And you know what? Because we had a lot of money in our pocket and because it didn't appear to cost us a lot of money, we would start bidding the prices of things up. If we went out and looked at a car and uh, there was a, you know, there was two or three of us standing around and the, and the dealer had a price on it for $20,000, but we knew our payments weren't going to be that high, we might even stand there and bid the price of it up. We were doing that with real estate a few years ago. 
The interest rates were extremely low. It didn't appear like it, you know, cost us a lot of money in monthly payments when the interest, you know, when the interest rates are maybe at four, four and a half percent. So what we would do is we would just say, yeah, well, I can afford to buy that, so I'm willing to pay a higher price. That's where we started to hear where people were standing online, uh, model homes, camping out overnight, hopefully wishing that they could even get the opportunity to put their name in. It had to be chosen to even put a bid in on the house, which is not like it is today. It was because the interest rates were low. So the biggest thing that they're doing is trying to help stabilize the economy. There's a couple ways that they can do that. Uh, let me see where this is, uh, if it is in here. First thing is that they, um, they can control the interest rates, and the, one of the ways that they do this is by the discount rate that they charge. In other words, those member banks that belong to the central bank when they go and borrow money from the central bank, they have to pay interest just like anyone else does. They are a preferred customer. They do pay what we commonly refer to as the prime rate, which means prime best customer rate, okay, to the central bank. Now, one of the ways that the central bank controls the cost of money is by how much they charge those member banks. So think about it for a minute. If you happen to be a bank like Bank of America or Wells Fargo, I use something really simple, and you turn around and you can borrow the money from the Federal Reserve at, say, 4%, okay, at 4%, and then turn around and lend it out to somebody else, you may very well borrow at 4% and lend it at 6 make 2% return on your money. If all of a sudden the Federal Reserve turns around and says, you know what, I'm going to charge you not 4 but I'm going to charge you 5%, What's going to end up happening, and the bank turns around and says, you know what, we still have all those people around here. We still have tellers. We still have employees that we have to pay. We still have to pay the rent. We still need to make 2% return on our money. What we're going to have to do is raise the interest rates that we charge you, our customers. So by the Federal Reserve, lowering and raising those rates has an effect on how much it costs us to borrow money. Okay, If the Federal Reserve wants to control inflation, in other words, take money out of our pockets so we are not going to stand there and bid up the price of commodities, what they do is they raise the interest rate. In 1970, late part of uh, the 70, 79, 80, 81, the interest rates in some cases hit as high as 22%. What was happening is, is that the Federal Reserve Chairman during that time, his name was Paul Volcker, and the concept that they had is they said, you know, we've got people, they're just bidding the price, inflation. Every time we turn around, things are, you know, going up tremendously in price. So we have to have something to control that, so we're going to raise the interest rates. So what happens is when they raise the interest rates, it takes money out of our pocket. We spend more. We buy less McDonald's hamburgers, less cars, less gas. It makes the economy slow down. If they want to stimulate the economy because they think it's too slow, what they do is they lower the interest rates. When they lower the interest rates, what happens is we have now have more money in our pocket and we're going to go out and spend more money. Okay, So that's one of the ways that they do it. A second way that they do it is what, through what they call open market operations. Open market operations has to do with the fact that when the government, remember the government doesn't get, doesn't produce any money. The government needs to collect taxes from us to be able to pay the bills. Okay, So consequently, what ends up happening is that uh, in order for the government to operate, they have to borrow money. 
And when they borrow money, that's where we hear things like T-bills, bonds, things like that. The way this works, and you've got to kind of keep track of how this works, if the Federal Reserve wants to put more money into circulation for you to use, what they do is they buy those securities back. So it's kind of like going to you and say, give me the T-bill back, and I'm going to give you the $10,000. So that's how they put money into the economy. If, on the other hand, they want to take money out of the economy, what they do is they sell T-bills and bonds. Okay? Think of the money as a big pot. It's like a big pot of money. It's being used for a lot of resources. And what we want to do is have some way of controlling the availability of that resource, which is the amount of money that's available. Okay? So that's another way that they can do it. A third way they can do it, and I'm not sure whether this is on here or not. I know it's in here someplace, is by controlling what we commonly refer to as the reserve requirement. What a reserve requirement is this. If I am a bank and I receive, in its most simplistic state, let's say you walk in the door and you give me $1,000 as a deposit, and if I have a reserve requirement of 10%, that means that I have to take, of that of that $1,000 I receive, I have to take 10% of that, which is $100, and I have to put it to the side. That's on reserve. The purpose of that is in the event it's like for a rainy day, it's almost, think of it like you would like savings. It's in case something happens, I've got this reserve. Well, what the Federal Reserve does is that if they want to have more, if they want to tighten up how much money the banks have to lend, they raise the reserve requirement. So think about it for a minute. If I receive a thousand dollars and my reserve requirement is ten percent, I have I can lend out nine hundred dollars and I have to keep a hundred dollars on reserve. On the other hand, if I raise the reserve requirement to twenty percent. It means that I now have to take, I get the $1,000, I have to put $200 aside, and I can only lend out $800. Okay? So by changing and increasing the reserve requirement, the Federal Reserve can contract the amount of money that's in circulation for you to borrow. On the other hand, if they reduce the reserve requirement, they expand the amount of money that's in, that's in demand. Now, you as a real estate person, what you want to do is you always want to be watching all this because all of this has an effect on how what the interest rates are going to be, which also, if the interest rates are low, you can sell more houses. If the interest rates are high, you can sell less houses. Your clients cannot buy as many houses, so you're always going to kind of watch this. In fact, if you go to the Sacramento Association of Realtors meetings, we have every Tuesday, you'll have somebody from the Finance Committee that will stand up and talk a little bit about what the Federal Reserve is doing that day or that they raised the rates or lowered the rates or some kind of an idea of what direction they feel things are going to go. And the reason why is because the real estate agents that are also attending those meetings want to have some degree of or, or information about what they feel is going to happen to those loans, interest rates, and so on that they're trying to get for their clients. Okay? So... That concept is, is the things that how they control the interest rates, the amount of money involved. And I can't overemphasize that you have to think of money as like a pot. It's like a commodity. It's like having a pot of money. Okay? Uh, you know, the lower the interest rates, the more money there is out there for us to borrow. The higher the interest rates, the lo less money. Okay? Kind of think that, keep that in mind. And also keep in mind that money is being competed for, not just in real estate. Remember, 
businesses are borrowing money to build buildings, to make employ, uh, you know, to meet employee salaries, to to buy inventory, everything else. So real estate is competing with the rest of the uh, industry for money. Um, the last thing that we're going to mention before I go to the websites is they talk about some of the futures of money. Now you may say I already know this. This all makes sense. In fact, this is stupid that you even mention this, but it does help us in perspective. Think back to the time, the caveman days. Okay. Think about the fact that if we had something and wanted to buy something, we had to have bring our chickens and trade them with the tailor in order to buy something. We moved into something called the goldsmiths, where we had a note that we could give somebody and then go down and get the gold. Right. Now we have something that's a standardized currency we can use. Any more though, what are we working with? Everything is electronic. You know, we have ATMs to spend money. You know, to use our money, ATM cards, credit cards. Uh, and the industry continues to evolve. Uh, it continues to evolve to the point that now that you'll hear things on TV where they, you know, they're not even checking who you are. It's like pay and go. They have this little guy that runs down the street. He's out jogging. He stops for, I don't know, a donut while he's jogging or coffee. I can't remember what it is. And he doesn't have to do a signature. He just hits the thing and it knows who he is and bang, that's it. He gets paid. So the concept is, is that if we take a look at any one of the industries that we were dealing with, you know, such as the travel industry. Take a look at what it was, say, 15, 20 years ago where we went to a travel agent. Today we're doing everything online. Look at the banks. We used to stand in line at the bank just to ask them if they would please take our money. Now we're doing what? Everything electronically online. My son's 29 years old. He doesn't go to the bank. He pays his bills electronically. You know, so when you take a look at what's evolving, what's happening, take a look at the fact that students all came to camps to take classes, and now what are you doing? You're watching them online. So this technology is pushing this stuff forward, both nationally and internationally. So the question is, we have no idea as the time goes by of what's going to happen with this money. You know, what's basically going to happen? I mean, the day may come where we're going to walk in and just drop a card down and buy the house or maybe blink our eyes or do something to get money. So it's continuously is, uh, there's a continuous evolution to what's going on. And there's a lot of things in the industry where... You know, that people are trying to make houses more affordable. We're changing a lot of ways that we lend money. It used to be where we had a standard 30-year loan, fixed rate, lasted for 30 years. Nowadays, we have interest only, adjustable rate mortgages. We have a lot of different ways that we're operating. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a minute and I want to show you some things that are on your Blackboard website and what I, the purpose of this is to do a couple things. Um, let me go back here and see. I may have to uh, log in if I've been off too long. Let me go back here. And uh, I'm just going to kind of walk you through this. You're in uh, Now, remember, the classes you see here are all my classes. So you guys may just say Real Estate 320, okay? So don't panic here. But I'm going to go to Real Estate Finance. And what I did is that a lot of the materials that are going to be in the chapter, what I do, either have already done or will do usually before I come to class, is to actually go out on the Internet and find some resources that you can go and read about and become more familiar with what the topical area is, or at least know. And think about this stuff as we do it. It might not be something you're interested in today, but it might be something that you're interested in down the road. It's amazing how... Uh, how in life, you know, you, somebody shows you something and you say, oh, yeah, that's really nice, and you don't pay any attention to it. And then four years later, you go, wow, I, you know, I really need to know about that now. 
Okay, so I'm going to go down here in your website, your Blackboard website is a thing called Website Links. And what it is is I've, and I'll continue to do this, I've broken them out by chapter, by chapter so that you can find them. Um, and what I'm going to do is open this up. The first thing that I'm going to do is show you the person that is in charge of the Federal Reserve Bank now. And let me see if I can open this up a little bit more. His name is Bert Bernanke. Okay. He is currently the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, he was appointed by, he's appointed by the President of the United States, George Bush, appointed him. He has to go and sit before Congress and, and be approved by Congress. He's appointed to a 14-year term. The concept behind this is that he is totally independent because when you're appointed like that for that period of time, the concept is, is as soon as you're appointed, you can go, whew, I have to no longer worry about politics. I am done with politics. That's theoretically what you're supposed to do. I'm going to focus my attention now on how to really run this economy well. And because I, I have the job for 14 years, I can make some decisions and I can do some things that are hard decisions that need to be made, and maybe I'm going to even upset the guy that appointed me. But because I'm kind of insulated now for 14 years because I don't have to worry about that. So he's, having, he's the one that's sitting there and having to make some of these decisions. Now, one of the things that the Federal Reserve does do is they collect a lot of data. In other words, they're collecting all kinds of information. They're a repository of all kinds of data. They have economists that work for them that are trying to help these people understand what's going on in the economy that uh, within the United States and those specific geographical areas trying to figure, you know, should we stimulate the economy? Should we slow it down? What should we do? And by the way, the Federal Reserve, when they make a decision, can move like that. Okay, just as a sideline, in the United States, we have two types of policies that we work with. We have monetary policy, which is controlled by the Federal Reserve, and we have fiscal policy, which is controlled by the Congress in the United States. Monetary policy, if the Federal Reserve decides to change the interest rate, it affects us immediately. If they decide to change whether they're going to buy or sell bonds, that affects us immediately. I mean, like the next day, if not that day, it affects us. So what that means is they can make quick changes within the economy. They can turn things on a dime. On the other hand, the fiscal policy, that's something that is done by Congress. So in that particular case, if Congress decides that it wants to put a law into effect, that will provide some kind of an incentive for people that uh, provide low-income housing, okay, to stimulate that part of the economy so people will build low-income housing or housing for older people or whatever. What happens is, is they have to take, and a congressperson or a senator has to introduce it. It has to go before committees. They argue. Maybe they may have the Senate version, the House version. They'll argue back and forth. It could go on for a number of years. It may not even hit the floor where they can vote on it. Then finally, once they finally do agree and it's approved by both sides, then it has to go to the president. And the president may turn around and say, forget about it. I'm not going to vote on that silly thing. I'm going to veto it. So it doesn't happen quickly. It's not like the Federal Reserve, which can change like that. It takes time to make things happen. That's why whenever you see that the Congress does something very quickly, they go, I can't believe that they did that. And they actually got together, sat down, and got the thing done in a couple of days. That's absolutely a miracle. I can't believe they did that. It's because it takes so long. And it's because those people in Congress are trying to represent all 50 states. Okay? 
and they have to answer to all their constituents, okay, whereas this guy here is isolated, okay, very important point. So anyway, this talks about Ben Bernanke and what his background is, and you'll hear about him on a constant basis. He goes before Congress. He testifies in Congress. When he's testifying, everybody is sitting there watching, and they're watching what he says, and they're trying to interpret what he really means. In fact, part of what he's done recently is that the previous Federal Reserve Chairman, Alan Greenspan, would say things a certain way, and he had a history, so they kind of knew what he meant. So what they're doing right now is they're trying to figure out what Bernanke really means when he says something. Okay, so it's going to take a while for them, for him to say things, see what he actually does, and for him to develop some kind of a track record so they can hopefully predict what's going to happen. Okay? Like if he says, one, one guy could say the economy's a little bit soft. Well, in Alan Greenspan's time, that could mean, you know, we're going to go ahead and do something to get those interest rates down. He could say, I think the economy's a little bit soft and not change anything. Okay, so it's very, very important. I'm um, going to go back here for a minute. The uh, next one I wanted to do is to show you who the old Federal Reserve Chairman was, and he's in Wikipedia now, which is a uh, Wikipedia, and uh, it'll come up in a minute. This is the gentleman right here, Alan Greenspan. God, let me see if I can get that back up again here. Uh, yeah. He just retired. Okay, he was around for years and years and years. Uh, his wife actually works for um, NBC News. She's a reporter. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, he's, he was in term for, I think he had been in once and then uh, was reappointed again, but he's decided to retire. He's the previous guy, okay? Uh, and you can read about him, all, I mean, all kinds of stuff about him. Okay, um, next thing that I wanted to show you is something that's a, a link I have here called About the Federal Reserve. Again, when you get home, you can, you can look at this so that you're familiar with it. Uh, this page I thought was kind of important. It's actually the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. It's, it's, and each, each place, each of the districts has their own website, if you will. New York has theirs, you know, so on and so forth. But, for example, that map that they show you in the book, this is the map where it's colored, and you can actually see where the lines are. So it's a lot easier to distinguish that where, where the San Francisco area is, where the Minneapolis, the Kansas, the Dallas, so on and so forth is. So it helps a lot. E it's a lot easier to see the color representations of the map. Okay, um, this talks about the Board of Governors, and if you're ever interested, uh, this will just bring you to the main Federal Reserve website. It'll talk about breaking news about the Fed, monetary policies, all that. Okay. Um, let me see here if I can put. Uh, okay. Another thing that you may find that's interesting is the history of the Federal Reserve. Um, in your book, relates a lot to. Let me pull this up here. Talks a lot about you know the history from the beginning to the you know where we currently are as far as the Federal Reserve goes. So if you're interested in this as far as research goes, I mean I'll just read this first part. It says just like your book did. It said the Federal Reserve is the central bank of the United States. And what you should be getting out of this is a lot of times you read this stuff in the book, and you go, is this really true? Does this really exist? You know here here's the here's the website for for them. Okay. 
Uh, Congress created the Federal Reserve through a law passed in 1913, uh, charging it with a responsibility to foster a sound banking system and a healthy economy. That's their reason for existence. Uh, This remains today the broad mission of the Fed and its component parts, the 12 Federal Reserve Bank districts nationwide, each serving a specific region of the country, and the Board of Governors in Washington, D.C., established to oversee the federal system. Okay, so... There's just a lot of stuff there that you can go and read about and become familiar with. In fact, you'll find out a lot of the stuff that comes from in the book. I wouldn't say, you know, you're going to see that there's only so many ways of writing it comes directly from information that has been done, you know, on the Federal Reserve in the past. Okay? So, again, uh, if you want to know the act itself, uh, this talks about, your book talked about where it was born out of panic. You know, the idea that the economy was kind of going into shambles, there was a lot of inflation, so on and so forth. Uh, so here, you know, this will take you and talk about born out of panic, forming the Federal Reserve System. And so it talks about what was in the book, uh, more or less, so that you can read in more depth about how that works. Okay. So next, I'm going to show you a couple of other things in here, if time permits. Okay, let me close out of this particular one right here. Uh, I did put a special link in here just in case because I know sometimes it's a little bit hard to find to go to that map of the uh, Federal Reserve because I just happen to know. Actually, when I sit down and do this, I actually have to think about where this stuff is because the other thing that's interesting is when you go here, the site changes all the time. Like this morning, I went to check Alan Greenspan, and I got a dead link. Well, what happened is the minute he retired, they dumped him. They took them right off the website, got rid of them. So the place I did is I went to Google and looked up Alan Greenspan, and he's in Wikipedia, which has a lot more information about him. But anyway, you know, but the minute you quit, I mean, you know, it's, oh, we're sorry to see you go, Alan. <laughs> we're going to get rid of your profile, like, right now, you know. <laughs> it's kind of like the president. The minute the president leaves, they can get rid of everything, you know. So anyway, a um, couple other things is you may be interested in the discount rate and the history of the discount rate. You know, what, you know, we talk about this discount rate all the time. Well, what happens is it would be kind of nice. Let me see if I can F11 out of this. Okay. It would be kind of nice of knowing what the history is. So as you can see right here, it says this is the, that's the Federal Reserve, Federal FRBSF is Federal Reserve Board of San Francisco. This is the discount rate. Okay. And this shows you what the discount rates are now. It tells you that this is the current rate, and it gives you that rate as you go back over the months. So you can start to track and see when you were thinking about it, where was the housing economy a couple years ago? You say, well, you know, hey, housing prices were pretty high a couple years ago. A lot of people were standing in line. Well, why? Well, all you have to do is go back here and take a look at what the interest rates were during that period of time, you know. They were as low as 1.5, 1.25, you know, so on and so forth. So that discount rate was low. That's why we were paying lower interest rates. So it kind of helps. There's a lot of information there. You can look at charts and stuff like that that help explain how that works. But, again, that's a link that helps out a little bit in understanding this stuff. Close out of this. A couple other things I wanted to show you in here. this is the main link to the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, uh, which is down there. If you are ever interested and you're looking for things like publications, I could have sworn, oh, here, bank tours. I mentioned bank tours right here. So if you're ever interested on going, you know, you're going to go down to San Francisco and you've got nothing else to do and you think it would be kind of cool, you click here 
and it will tell you, hopefully in a minute here, on, on taking the tour. A lot of times kids go, uh, high school kids, I went as part of an economics class, okay, you know, we've got, we've got a bus and road down there kind of a thing, you know. So there's a lot of different things. It's kind of a, a kind of a fun thing to do. You know, there's a lot of people go on a lot of tours of a lot of things besides just, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, going to Hawaii or something. You know, the, some of these things are kind of fun to see where these actually come from. Anyway, so if you want to schedule your tour or book your tour or whatever, it's located right here. Um, let me see. And I'll close out of this one. Okay, a couple other things that I had in here is that we'll talk about in the future is a mortgage versus a deed of trust. I think this link is working. This is something we'll be talking about is in most states we talk about a mortgage. In California, uses deed of trust. So I thought it would be good to have a little bit of an article on what, the, what a mortgage work is and what a deed of trust is so that you can see that this is on the site. Okay, again, I'm just trying to let you know what's there. This happens to be something called the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. This is the people that actually insure the deposits when you put them in the bank. When you say back by FDIC to $100,000, which they haven't changed at all, okay, this is the group that does it. That's the website that does it, okay? And then probably I put one more link in here, which was the history of money, if it functions, okay? This is just the history of money if you're ever interested Okay, you can go down here and find out and read all about the history of money. This is a book, okay, and you can go ahead down here through here and take a look at this information here, okay. So, again, this serves as a purpose of showing you, you know, with that I'm going to lecture. We're going to lecture from the book. I talked about the stuff. We're pretty much finished with the history of it. I'm also going to have website links in, in the Blackboard website that I'm going to show you. And that means that you can also go back and watch or take a look at those. It's always surprised me with students um, that uh, people that I would think would never be interested in doing this or people that will come back at the end of the semester and say, I love those website links. I went in there and read all about that money stuff. You know, And it's kind of interesting. I've even had students that would say to me, can you send me the link? You know, I really kind of like that stuff, you know, and you know, who knows? Uh, the other thing I want to mention is remember that show one is up for you to watch. This show I'll be sending out an email and, a, and a, um, an announcement. You need to make sure your email address is correct. You should be getting it. You should be getting it in the next day or two. Another, another message from me that the show is coming up and it's ready for viewing. With that, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for coming. If a couple of you need to see me after class, I'll be here for a little bit, help you get a course outline and everything else. And Anyway, thank you very much for coming. See you back here next time. Bye-bye.